you know, our followers are always looking for innovative therapies in the world of integrative cancer, and you clearly are that. Yeah, but you. your journey here is not a straightforward one, right? No. So can you kind of tell the listeners kind of sure. what your journey's been? Sure, yeah. Well, for me, one of the things was that, of course, my, my grandmother had died of breast cancer when I was young, which made me want to get into cancer. I thought that I was going to be a medical oncologist. And uh, when I did research in, in college, we were doing this where we were injecting viruses into tumors, and it was working really well. And, uh, and, I would, and then when they would do the clinical trials in humans, they would give it intravenous. And I said, well, you know, it didn't work. And I said, but we injected the mice, but we didn't inject it into the tumors in the humans. And they're, oh, no, it's too difficult. You can't, you can't do that. And so we were fortunate at LSU. We had these radiology uh, you know, classes early, our first and second year. And I remember there was the first time that they did a lecture on interventional radiology. And the guy that was uh, giving the, the talk was talking about how they were putting needles in all these locations for doing biopsies. I was like, wait a minute. I was like, if they can do that then we can inject these drugs into yeah. tumors. Welcome to the Practicing with Dr. Nathan Goodyear podcast. I'm the medical director at Brio Medical in Scottsdale, Arizona. I am both a conventionally trained and licensed medical doctor as well as a licensed medical homeopathic doctor. This podcast is your resource for a scientific-based discussion of all things cancer and beyond from a natural, holistic, and integrative perspective. It's time to teach the body how to heal. So here we Go. In the hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Dr. Goodyear with Practicing with Dr. Nathan Goodyear podcast. You may be going, what in the world are you doing quoting the hobbit? Well, it's because the hobbit is the hobbit there and back again. And I have with me a colleague an innovator, and actually a fellow graduate from LSU Health Science Center in Shreveport mm -hmm. the year 2000. Jason Williams is, I think, one of the biggest innovators in immunotherapy in, in the world. And um, if you know anything about cancer, of research cancer, you've probably seen his book, Immunotherapy, A Revolution. And um, it's, it's an I haven't had a chance to read it. He just gave it to me. So I, I'm not going to be one of those ones that, you know, says, oh, I've read your book and I love mm -hmm. it. I, I haven't yet, but I'm going to. Um, but I know a lots of patients that have read it and know about Jason Williams. So because we were um, medical students together, yeah. you know, together again, um, I thought The Hobbit, because I'm kind of a Hobbit freak, um, I thought it was a great way to bring in this concept because immunotherapy and Hobbit have nothing in, in concert together, but yet it's the there and back again, mm -hmm. because you and I were there 1996, yeah. August. We were there when we graduated in May, 2000. And then what bought, brought us back together was yeah. immunotherapy. Yeah. So Jason, Dr. Williams, it is Nathan. so awesome oh, to see you. Good to see you yeah, too. Gosh. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Sit next to each other in class. And, oh, no. And, yeah. and uh, the Hobbit comes back from, from Dr. Clausen. Oh, my Dr. gosh. Dr. Clausen, Bilbo Baggins. And <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he, also, he used to always include that in all of his lectures. In I forgot that. Yes. Till you just mentioned that. Yes. Uh, I forgot Dr. Clausen's name. Yeah. Uh, he, he was actually a great professor. Great professor. Great yes. professor. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's what was so weird about this is not only 
did we go to medical school together, uh, we were basically kind of right there in the same group. We sat next to each yeah. other. I mean, the first two years, we were pretty much in class yeah. all day, every day. And, uh, and so we, of course, you know, well, first of all, I guess, tell me your journey because we took different journeys, different paths, but in some ways we're kind of back at the same yeah. point. So, you know, our followers are always looking for innovative therapies in the world of integrative cancer. And you clearly are that, yeah, but you. your journey here is not a straightforward one, right? No. So can you kind of tell the listeners kind of sure. what your journey's been? Sure. Yeah. Well, for me, one of the things was that, of course, my, my grandmother had died of breast cancer when I was young, which made me want to get into cancer. I thought that I was going to be a medical oncologist. And uh, when I did research in, in college, we were doing stuff where we were injecting viruses into tumors and it was working really well. And, uh, and, I would, and then when they would do the clinical trials in humans, they would give it intravenous. And I said, well, you know, it didn't work. And I said, but we injected the mice, but we didn't inject it into the tumors in the humans. And they're like, oh no, it's too difficult. You can't, you can't do that. And so we were fortunate at LSU, we had these radiology uh, you know, classes early, our first and second year. And I remember there was the first time that they did a lecture on interventional radiology. And the guy that was uh, giving the, the talk was talking about how they were putting needles in all these locations for doing biopsies. I was like, wait a minute. I was like, if they can do that, then we can inject these drugs into yeah. tumors. And so I said, you know what? I'm not going to be a medical oncologist. I'm going to be a radiologist. <laughs> and, and that's, I, I went into radiology, but with the idea of treating cancer, that was what I really wanted to do. Yeah. And so, uh, and then later learned about a, a fellow LSU alum who was doing a lot of innovative work in ablation where you stick needles into tumors and you use uh, radio frequency or other things to kill and heat up the tumor and destroy it, cryoablation. Patrick Sewell. Okay. Patrick Sewell, he was, a, he was ahead of us. He, he did his residency there in medical school at LSU and then he uh, finished probably two or three, well, he, he finished his residency at two or three years ahead of us. He was doing okay. a fellowship. Yeah. And so, so everybody at LSU there knew who he was. And when I told him, I was like, I'm interested in this cancer stuff. I, the radiologist at LSU said, you need to look up this guy, Patrick Sewell. So he was at the University of Mississippi. So I got um, our senior year when we could go and, and travel to other places. I went and did several months there with him and uh, saw, you know, sticking needles into tumors and destroying. I was like, this is amazing. Was that in Jackson? In Jackson. Okay, because I did a, I did a, a month rotation in Jackson in, too. In, in OB-GYN? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, very, very so we could have been there at the same, same time. time. Yeah. We, uh, yeah. I went there right off the bat, like the first the start of the, the fourth year. But uh, so, so that, that really influenced me a lot. And then starting to try to take the things that we were doing research-wise. I'm like, now we can put it all together. And when I ended up going to my radiology residency, which is at the University of South Alabama, the, the chairman there, those were guys that started CT-guided procedures. So it was really kind of a nice fit. They let me do a lot of what I wanted to do. And I said, hey, you know, there, there's this ablation stuff. I said, you know, we could stick needles in tumors and destroy it. And they're like, well, you know, you want to you want to do it. Great. Uh, if you can work it out. And yeah. so I contacted the companies. I started a website. I started doing a, basically blogs back then and to, you know, 2001, 2002 and uh, <laughs> started getting patients and started treating people and, you know, correspond a lot with Dr. Sewell in Mississippi. Yeah. But the thing that I saw was that, you know, I, I wanted to try to help everybody. So 
a lot of the cases that everybody else would turn away, I was like, oh, I'm going to take this on and we'll try to help them. And I saw them do better than I ever expected that they would do. And a lot of them didn't have options for chemotherapies. And so I thought there's something with the ablation that's doing something, stimulating the immune system, making the patients better without even having to give them medications. And that got me really, really interested. And then I had to figure out what can we do to make this happen all the time? Because right. some of the cases the patients were getting amazing responses. And so, so there's gotta be a way we can make it better. And that's led me into that journey, put me into with immunotherapy. Ultimately, that was the things that we figured out. You do the ablations, you do the immunotherapy together. Um, really powerful. I mean, it's amazing that you can inject a, you know, a much lower dose of the drug in the tumor. I mean, sometimes fraction, less than 10% of a systemic dose <laughs> and put in the tumor and it works better than the systemic immunotherapy. And the other is the combinations because yeah. you can never give you know, eight, nine, 10 immunotherapy drugs systemically, the patients would have terrible autoimmune issues. Yeah. But in the tumor, very forgiving. I mean, you can do a lot. I mean, uh, we, we, we sometimes do 14 agents. Wow. Uh, the other course also is you want to test tumor killing. You want to yeah. inject an agent, see if it looks like it's killing the tumor. But it's just a, it's a nice area to see in the patient how things are working. And so that's why I really got in that and then just got fully into where essentially like having a PhD in immunology, studied so much immunology and uh, got interested in all the other aspects and, and also wanted to take it to another level. We're using like the, the off-label drugs to enhance yeah. immune response, supplements, yep. you know, manipulating the microbiome, all oh, the things yeah. that are, um, you know, unfortunately not done with a lot of the, the standard immunology or, you know, immunotherapy patients. Those patients, they get their uh, Opdivo, they get their Keytruda, but they're not getting anything to maximize it. Um, you know, was one thing last year that was a little bit shocking to me was there was an article that came out about uh, acetaminophen. I don't know if you saw this. Oh, Tylenol? No. Tylenol. Uh -uh. Completely stops the immunotherapy from working, 100%. Okay, now that makes sense. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you counter that, you know, aspirin is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. Right. Which that enhances. Has, yeah, that's right, that enhances, enhances it. Exactly. So I always tell patients, you know, don't take Tylenol. Yes. You need to take anything. Well, I, in fact, I use aspirin. Right. Um, but, you know, celecoxib is a COX-2 sure. inhibitor. Those are all fine. Yeah, yeah. Th these are great. But all, you know, so aspirin and Tylenol, both over the counter. One is beneficial. Yeah. One's, one's terrible. And the other thing is, is that lots of immunotherapy patients are pre-medicated with Tylenol. So you're messing it up right there. Wow. They're advised if they get fevers, which sometimes they do with immunotherapy, yep. take Tylenol. Um, and, and, and I didn't realize this, but first, so I saw the article. It was actually a, a friend of mine, a guy that's become a friend of mine. He's in, in France. Uh, his name is Orléans Mahabel. He's a big he's a medical oncologist, has a PhD in immunology, and is big in the intratumoral immunotherapy. He was sort of the, the one behind what we call the Stanford cancer vaccine, which was using OX40 with CPG with Yervoy. I mean, he did it with okay. Yervoy. Uh, later, uh, Ronald Levy, uh, who, who was his, uh, his professor, uh, did it with just OX40 and CPG. But they got 100% cure in these mice, and uh, so that was his work. And he's he's a real big intratumoral guy. But somehow he ended up doing this article, uh, mainly with his graduate students, I'm sure. But they they went and looked at patients who took Tylenol and what was their response. So they decided they picked renal cell carcinoma. Hmm. They looked at about 240 patients, and they said any patient who's taking Tylenol, what was their response rate? Zero. 
Zero. So it, it completely shut it down. Completely shut it down. So then they, they said, you know what, we're gonna we're not even gonna trust that the patients are telling us that they're taking Tylenol. We're gonna go back and take all their blood samples that they had saved and measure Tylenol levels in everybody. Wow. And the people who didn't say they were, were taking Tylenol were non-responders as well. And uh, turns out in 2015, the World Health Organization made a recommendation if you receive a vaccine, you should not take Tylenol within two weeks. And they were finding it was deactivating, making the vaccines not work. Right. And so, uh, so, so this group said, well, if it makes the vaccines not work, what does it do to cancer immunotherapy? And so it's wow. a, you know, when I look at it, I, I don't, I don't know if you call these like the, 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 the three horsemen, but you look at the things that are <laughs> bad for uh, immunotherapy and, you know, Tylenol, uh, steroids, mm -hmm. obviously there are certain situations, but yeah. you try to avoid them. Yeah. Um, when you look now at like patients getting chemotherapy plus yeah. immunotherapy, yeah. you have to take the steroids out. They give them dexamethasone mainly for nausea, yeah. but yep. if you, yep. if you give them that, you're going to reduce the chance the immunotherapy works and the other being antibiotics. Right. And so obviously some patients need to take antibiotics, but we know you mess up the microbiome, the yep. patients are less likely to respond. The only ways we know around it are two things. One is using a bacteria called Clostridium butyricum, mm -hmm. which you can buy from two sources. One is from Japan, the other is in the US, mm -hmm. was used to mainly treat diarrhea or to do fecal transplant. Yep. And, and, and of course now, now there is an FDA approved fecal transplant, uh, Rebiota, re which is an option, but it's hard to get, it's expensive. Yeah. You know, a, lo a lot of the patients were resorting to doing their own fecal transplants. Right meaning, you know, identify a, a trusted person because usually they weren't going to be able to do all the testing. They were doing it sort of clandestine on their own. So yeah. the so usually a spouse or a child or, or somebody that was close to them. Yeah, because I believe the, I think it was the, there was a study where they looked at ulcerative colitis. It was way back in the beginning with uh, rectal transplant, I mean, uh, fecal transplant. And they actually had a, a subset of the patient population. They had they had, I, I can't remember the exact data, but it just came to my mind when we were talking, that they had uh, significant remission in the ulcerative colitis. But then they had a few of the patients that, that all of a sudden became obese. That, yes. And what they found is they went back to the donors. Yes. And they found that the donors of which those obese, those patients that transmit, transitioned from normal weight to obese, yes. morbidly, they came from obese individuals yes and so now people focus well that's metabolism what's that got to right. do with anything <laughs> uh what yeah. what both of the what you're saying and and what that article was saying is it really points towards the not just the gut but the bacterial population right. microbiome as really being a kind of a central figure right to the entire metabolism of the body as a whole and metabolism is not just weight, it's just, it's how things function. Yeah. And so you can, you can put immune system in that as well. Mm, sure. But I mean, that, so these kind of tie together. Yeah. And even now they're looking at longevity, you know, yeah. bacteria like Acromantia, which is oh, yeah. associated with an improved immune response, um, very important for immunotherapy. And, and, and now that you can actually take as a supplement previously, it wasn't I think available. There's one source. There's right? one source. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I know because one I got that source from him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I didn't, I got it from a patient, you know, because uh, I, you know, it was in my book saying, well, there's acromantia, but how do you increase it? Yeah. You know, polyphenols, cranberry extract, camu, camu, yeah. that type of stuff. But there was no way to directly do it. And then 
Uh, then this company came out with it, and then it was interesting that a patient told me, hey, there's this one online, and I looked at it, and sure enough, uh, it was there, and a lot of the people who were taking it were people that read my book but then found that oh, wow. source. <laughs> and so the company actually ended up asking me to speak one time at one of their meetings. It was on online, and I go and I'm speaking, and the other person on there said, hey, I, uh, I'm taking it, or I gave it to my father who responded to immunotherapy because I read that guy's book. <laughs> oh, wow, wow. So it was interesting that, that uh, you know, what a coincidence. But yeah, that, that helps a lot because before fecal transplant was the only thing you could do. If you didn't have acromantia, you were, you were really in a bad situation. And, and Yeah, and I, I want to come back to that gut issue um, in a second because I think, you know, you and I were talking last night over dinner and yesterday afternoon, we were talking about, you know, I think future and, and the gut being really front and center with that. Yeah. But you touched on something a little bit earlier. Um, you know, first of all, I, I love how, you know, you're, you're not an oncologist. Right, yeah. But your different perspective has really forced a different solution yeah. to a problem. Sure. And I, I'll, I'll never forget when I was looking at going to do pelvic floor fellowship, uh, I went out to a conference in San Francisco and I was talking to one of the uh, you know, premier uh, pelvic floor surgeons at the time. And as I told you last night, he was asking where I train. He said, oh, you don't really need to do it unless you just want to do publication sure. research. I said, oh, okay. He said, you have the skill sets, just go. But in that conference, there was a, a doc that got up there and he was describing the pelvic floor anatomy. Mm -hmm. And he was doing it almost like J.R. Tolkien wrote the Hobbit, you know, it was artistry. Right. It was beautiful. The There was beautiful drawings. And so he kind of went on for about 20, 30 minutes. And he then he stopped and he said, and by the way, I just have a little caveat for you. I'm not a surgeon. <laughs> I've never operated on a patient in my life. Wow. I'm family practice. Really? Oh, wow. He just had an interest hmm. in pelvic floor anatomy. Sure. He had a different perspective yeah, and he brought that different perspective to provide a beautiful solution in describing anatomy, yeah. but also drawing it that helped surgeons. Sure. And so sometimes when you're, you know, it's like you, you're sitting there looking at a problem over and over and over again. And it's just the way you're looking at it, the way you're looking at it, and somebody just come, comes, you know, comes along and looks and goes, oh, and they, you're like, oh right. my gosh, why didn't right. I see that? And that's how I see your journey. Sure. It's similar to his, which obviously for me, pelvic floor state, uh, surgeon, OBGYN, you know, we both had different paths, but yet they brought us back to cancer and it's through immunotherapy. Yeah. That, yeah. that really, that's what bridged us back together. Sure. Because I had a patient that asked me, she said, um, I want to do cryo, yeah. cryosurgery. I said, well, um, I don't know that you get that done in the U.S. Yeah. I said, check out Germany. Right. And yeah. I said, but I, I don't know where to look. Yeah. And so she uh, then called me back and said, yeah, oh, I, I, I found a, a great doc. I was yeah. like, where? She said, uh, in Mexico. Yeah. You were in Mexico City at the time. Yeah. And uh, SR is her initials. Um, so if you're watching. <laughs> uh, but so and we were follow up afterwards. And I said, so when are you going to see him? She said, oh, I, I already went to see him. Yeah. <laughs> and the treatment went great. Yeah. I said, oh, fantastic. Yeah. She said, yeah, there's one thing. I said, what's that? She said, he, he knows you. 
<laughs> and I said, who is that? So that, that I, you know, I, I reviewed that with yeah. you yesterday. She said, oh, Dr. Jason Williams. Yeah. And I was like, it was like, it was like one of those Hollywood moments where everything uh -huh. just kind of Hollywood moments comes right uh -huh. up on you. But it, so it was a mutual patient with cancer that actually reconnected us. But you mentioned something earlier about um, fever. Yeah. Tylenol. Sure. Yeah. And so when we look at the immune system, you know, everybody knows when their immune system's active is when they have a fever. Yeah. I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. I kind of have an idea, I think. Is fever the enemy? No, I don't think so at all. Um, I think that, you know, what I tell patients is that if you're comfortable, yeah, then just, you know, let it ride. Yeah. Um, if you're uncomfortable, then take some ibuprofen. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the body's, you know, doing that because it's trying to fight something and it's right. doing it for a reason. So we really probably shouldn't try to suppress it unless yeah. it was dangerous. Exactly. Which generally it's not. And, so. and, that, and I think I think that's uh, something that may come across to people as being different mm. is that when the immune system is active, right. that's a good thing. Yeah. I was doing some research. Um, here recently, just because I'm a geek. Now, what was the title of that podcast? Uh, Cancer Geeks. That's ah, a We should do that, that. together. Yeah. We should make it together. Cancer Geeks. I'm going to make that together. Because I actually have, a, I'll, I'll tell people I'm kind of getting my nerd on. I'm getting my yeah. geek on. Yeah. Just because you're probably like me. We just kind of go down these rabbit holes. Yeah. And so I went down this rabbit hole of spontaneous regression. Yeah. And, you know, it's been described in the literature, um, you know, um, going back, you know, thousands of years. There's a uh, Catholic priest. Uh, who had what appears to be probably a sarcoma, right. and he developed a superficial skin infection, yeah. and he, you know, quote unquote, was cured. Sure. Um, so there's multiple documentations of this kind of spontaneous regression uh, that occurs, but every one of them is through an infection or from an immune response. Yeah, just like cholestoxin. Exactly. Yeah. The, yeah. Well stated. Um, and what William uh, William Coley did is he just looked back. In fact, in some of his early papers, he documents how he was just looking back at history mm -hmm. and he was just connecting dots. Yeah. And that's kind of what you've done. Sure. Yeah. You, you've just said, well, I want to connect these dots. This is interesting that this systemically doesn't work. Mm -hmm. But if I inject it, it yeah. does. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I find that fascinating. But spontaneous regression, I think, tie into immunotherapy clearly because it is an immunotherapeutic response but at the same time there's a recent article that came out in 2020 that said you know we're not we're not seeing a lot of spontaneous regressions anymore mm -hmm. and i was like i wonder if it's because of what we're doing with our approach to treatment that's are right. we are we subverting the immune system sure and yeah. that's why and from a generational standpoint transgenerationally we're seeing immune systems that are less equipped to respond. That's true. Yeah. 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 Obviously, you know, and now anytime even a, a hint of a potential infection, the patients get antibiotics, yeah. even though a lot of times they don't even need it. Right. But um, yeah, and the work of Coley, you know, obviously led to some of the newer immunotherapy yeah. agents with like uh, the one CPG, CPG, oh, yeah. Is, yeah. you know, toll like receptor agonist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was that was carried on by Lloyd Old, who worked with Coley's uh, daughter and they uh, discovered that I think in the 70s. I actually quoted him in uh, the timeline of immunotherapy that we uh, recorded yeah. before you showed up. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because I was going, uh, I told yeah. you before, I was going through important milestones in immunotherapy that's, and old is in there. That's yeah. a, he, you know, obviously he, he did a lot of work uh, and uh, in the, the, the TLR 
uh, oh, particularly yeah. CPG, the you know the the innate immune response. I mean, it's the thing is that one thing the immune system needs to know there's a problem. If the immune system doesn't know there's a problem, then well, there's a real problem because yeah. it doesn't know what to attack. And these uh, you know stimulators of the innate immune system, the immune system that doesn't know what it's supposed to attack but knows there's something going on, it goes and says, okay, hey, come here and check this out. We think something's a problem. That's what the the innate immune system. That's what those TLR agonists like CPG do. They and they come in and say, "Oh yeah, we should attack this or we shouldn't." And that's what we do is we like first give that bring in the immune cells, and then we use other drugs to say, "Yeah, it's it's correct. You you're supposed to come here and attack this." And so, but it's the way you have to kind of do some things in a, in a sequence where you yeah. start with a priming. To hit the innate, and then you start doing like stimulation. So uh, you know certain agents that will stimulate the activated T cells or other or other immune cells that are there. And then and then the checkpoint phase where the immune system getting shut down. But then now you go heavy to try to stop that. Yeah. So yeah, there's two things I don't want to forget here. Um, but one is precision therapy stacking. That's yeah. that's a phrase I like to use. Ah, yeah. And you're talking about the therapy stacking because yeah. you know people look at cancer and the way the the the, the mindset is with cancer. It's sequential. Yeah. Okay, uh, you know, neoadjuvant chemo, surgery, then radiation. You know, it's a very sequential process, as right. if cancer is going. Oh, now the chemo's coming. I got to do that. Right. You know, so it's it's a it's a dynamic process. So there's that, but then it's connecting the gut to immune dysfunction. Yeah. You're know, talking about the innate immunity. So I, I think the the point you touched on there, Jason, uh, was brilliant about it's the combining of the therapies. Yeah. And, and, you know, you've recognized that, I've recognized that, but again, we bring different experiences to that same point. And, but you're, you're actually implementing that in what you're doing in more of a focal direct uh, approach mm, to the, yeah. the tumor cells, right? Yeah. The cancer. Yeah. 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 And you know, you look back on things, I mean, particularly I always think about, uh, and obviously like when, when we were learning and training at a time of like HIV being bad and sort of, we, we, you know, went through where the, that was the, our that treatment, right? Yeah. But at first, yeah, when we were at LSU, everybody was dying. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, what did they do? They they would give the patient one drug. And then when that failed after about a year, it was the second drug. And when that failed after a year, it was the third drug. Right, right. Then, you know, they realized, but it was really by a mistake, I believe. You know, what I understood was that when they were doing studies, they were supposed to give like placebos and in, in certain drugs. But they made a mistake and they actually gave people all three of the drugs at once. <laughs> and those were the ones that did well. And that led to the triple therapy for HIV. But yet, that seems so obvious. You would think that's obvious. Just yeah. use all the drugs. But for some reason, in oncology, they're, I mean, they are getting better. I mean, you are starting to see now chemo plus immunotherapy. Yeah. But, but generally, they're like, okay, let's give the patient cyclin-dependent kinase inhibitor. Okay, that failed. Okay, well, now, oh, well, let's do a PARP inhibitor. Uh, let's, let's do that. And, and it's like, but not stacking all the different ones together. Yeah. And so... It just seemed obvious, but now clearly some of these drugs do have side effects, and sure. so you start stacking them. That is the advantage of the intratumoral approach because and your lower dose, lower dose, you don't have those type of issues. And uh, so, and, and, and again, the other thing is, it's nice when you're attacking a tumor. What like we like to see what it does. Then also, I look and see what are the other tumors doing. Yeah. You know, I hit this one. Did that tumor? Did now is it changing? Okay, yeah. There's and and then. And when we start seeing, oh yeah, this thing is really going, then we're we're just going to start throwing that and, and heating it up. <laughs> that's, that's a beautiful transition because one of the things I wanted to to touch you on is, you know, you're you're, you're familiar with the, the abyss couple uh, effect. Sure, sure, yeah. And th this is a concept that 
I think it was was it originally born out of radiation, where it, you it, have a you radiate a tumor and, and it induces a systemic effect. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this has been described in uh, other arenas as well. Yes. So, with your therapy, now we're not talking about radiation here, mm -hmm. but you know this has been shown in uh, hyperthermia. But mm -hmm. you're talking about ablative techniques, yeah. which you could say hyperthermia is that as well, um, in part. Are you seeing systemic effects? You were kind of alluding to yeah. that. Are you seeing systemic effects from a direct intratumoral therapy like what you're talking about? Definitely, definitely. And that's, and that's mainly what we're doing because, of course, we're, we're particularly doing a lot of advanced cases. So for us, it wouldn't be really helpful for only treating the one tumor and we get a response there, but we don't get a response anywhere else. But it's amazing. You treat those one areas and, 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 and you see the response, I mean, complete responses everywhere. Um, the other thing we're always trying to figure out is, okay, do we stay, keep treating this one tumor where we're doing really well here, or do we split out? Do we do others? Those are all the things we're still trying to sort out. I think it's different in different cancers. Um, a lot of times we find if we hit two spots, that's better, probably because we're getting, you know, more uh, diverse antigens. Yeah, heterogeneity, so, you're really right. tackling that on multiple fronts. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because when you look back at the, 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 the initial push in the immunotherapy, they were, you know, using inoculation, smallpox, and, yeah. and these kind of things. And so, in fact, I was, I was highlighting, I think she was a princess of Wales. She volunteered up six people that were in prison to get, you know, inoculated. Yeah, yeah. And then they then let the, they got over the infection and they sent them out into the general public. Yeah. And of course there was a, you know, a massive infection ongoing in the community and none of them got sick. Right. So they said, okay, fine, you, you have your freedom. Yeah. But that shows you the power of the immune system. Mm -hmm. And so you're, with your therapeutic approach intratumorally, with all the immunotherapeutics and you know, all the great therapies that you're providing at one time, you're really tapping into that, not just a short term, right. not just a focus issue, but a widespread systemic long-term duration effect. That's right. That's right. But you're not creating anything new, you're just taking advantage of what's there. Right. Right, the immune yeah. system. Yeah, and I think that's fascinating. Yeah, a lot. You know, obviously, a lot. There's a lot of interest right now, like in CAR T therapy, which yeah. you know looks good, but CAR T is one dimensional. I mean, it's yeah, one therapy. antigen, and we're yeah. creating that immune response in the tumor. So we have the diversity of antigens. We have the ability. The other thing, CAR T, obviously, it's very expensive. And it's very difficult to do, and this is this is a much better process by essentially making that vaccine inside the body. Yeah. So. Yeah, and again, you're what I always. I've said this before, you know, best answer to cancer is don't get in. That's true. It's, nobody wants it. Um, bad things happen to good people all the time. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, the best answer to cancer is the immune system because the immune system is the body's defenses against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And you're just using that. Yeah. It's interesting you talked about, you know, the lower dose. Yeah. And, you know, it's really interesting. I'm an advocate for lower dose chemo, sure. metronomic chemo. You know, five, ten percent, and in fact, when you look, it's very similar to what you're describing. You're just doing it more, uh, you know, intratumorally. Is that the lower the dose you go, the more immunomodulatory it becomes? Yeah, that's true. You know, stimulating natural killer cells, uh, downregulating T reg cells, not not wiping the innate immunity out, yeah. Yeah. but actually stimulating it, which really fits exactly in what you're describing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so you believe 
that the abyscopal effect is real. Oh, it's real. It's yeah. definitely real. Yeah. I do too. <laughs> I've seen, I, I seen just it <laughs> many times. Yeah, yeah, thankfully. Yeah, it's it's you know you, you it's as we say you know uh, treat locally, act globally. <laughs> oh, I like that. So that's yeah. very good. Yeah. The the other thing I wanted to touch on because your 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 in your history is you innovate in a lot of areas. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And and you you mentioned this to me when we talked yesterday about you're innovating in another area. And I'd love to talk to you off script about that as well, the AI and that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, but the gut. Yeah. Because, you know, we know that in many ways the gut is the key to immune function. Yes. And we know that, you know, the bacteria, the gut microbiome actually helps to control uh, TH1, TH2 balance, That's which right. is critical between, you know, talking about autoimmunity and all these different things. Um, I'd love to hear your take on, because you've already touched on it yeah. before and we've talked about it. I'd love to hear your take on the importance of the gut to what mm -hmm. you do, Sure. but then where do you think the importance of the gut is going to all therapies yeah. in and around immunotherapy as it relates to cancer? Yeah. Well, one thing, of course, is that, you know, testing of the microbiome, looking at certain bacteria. There's been several groups uh, that have done studies looking at, and, and it seems like each one comes up with a different bacteria. One one group says, okay, well, we looked in bifido brevi, bifido longum. Another group's like acromantia. Yeah. Another is fecal bacterium prosnazi. And so another one, clostridium butyricum. You have these different ones that they say, well, this one seems to be the, the key. And then, and of course, there's the interplay right. between it. I mean, some, you know, depending on what all sort of combinations that you have. But we know that, you know, for a lot of the immunotherapies to work, you need to have some of these bacteria present. Mm -hmm. uh, we, you know, the one thing that's been sort of classically shown is high fiber diet. Yeah. You know, a diverse microbiome, the more diversity, the better the response. Um, interesting enough, taking general probiotics seem to be negative, seem to be hurtful because you're reducing your diversity. You're, right. you know, a lot of times patients say, hey, but this has like 10 billion, it's 10 billion, but 10 billion of the same. You know, your microbiome is like a rainforest and, uh, and you're, you're planting corn <laughs> when yep. you do that. Yep. So, uh, so you, you want to keep that diversity, which obviously the high fiber helps. Then there are the certain key bacteria. I think acromantia being probably the, one of the top. That's big. Now, obviously, as we said, there is a, is a form that you can take. Uh, also, you can increase it. it will, that's the other thing. It's one thing having it, but the other thing's feeding it too, because yeah. you can have it's them, true. but you're not feeding them. If you're not feeding them appropriately, they don't do what you need them to do. And it's interesting you mentioned the fiber and the you know probiotics because um, was actually just you know getting my geek on this morning, trying to always trying to keep up to date on the the data and the, the research. I was reading an article. They were looking at people that took probiotics, yeah. and those that basically ate probiotics through diet yeah. fiber. Right. They found that those that had the high fiber diet did better sure, than those yeah. taking the targeted probiotics. Yeah. Now they weren't looking at it necessarily to say, well, let's let's give these probiotics to try to augment radiation, try to augment chemo, or try to augment, augment immunotherapy. Right. They were just trying to compare the two. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think you're probably a lot like me in this, uh, Jason. That, you know, definitely we can use targeted probiotics. Sure. And they can have their purpose, but the better answer. And the connection of this to the immune system is probably diet. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the time I, I tell my patients, you know, the acromantia, the clostridium, take it, but only take it like two, three times a week, you know, just have it in your system, but don't, we don't want to like overwhelm. You want, we just want to make sure that it's kind of present and then, yeah. and then you sort of, you know, nurture it with, with your, with your diet. Um, things like camu, camu, there's really some interesting studies going on with that. That's a 
fruit from the Amazon rainforest yeah, yeah. that looks kind of like a cherry. Okay. Um, but you, know, you find it in the powder, you find it in the pills, yep. and that functions a little bit like a like a fiber or like a or like a pre you know prebiotic, pre-biotic a microfiber, yeah. seems to really nourish a lot of these beneficial bacteria. Uh, there there are some studies that are ongoing that look like that camu camu significantly boosts the response of patients on immunotherapy. So I think though yeah we're gonna we're obviously we're we're trying to manipulate the microbiome as a as an added like exactly. treatment. Yeah. So that's where we're going. The other thing is looking at the interplay because that's where like with the AI stuff that yeah. we're looking at, we're really gonna say okay if you have these genetic mutations in your tumor, your microbiome looks like this. Your maybe your cytokine panel looks like this. Your HLA is this. All these other things. Then you need this, this, and this. That and and we're looking for the you know the AI to predict that and tell us the things that, and, and so it would include like, okay, this person, maybe this diet's better for them. This person, these off-label drugs, that's what they need. These, these supplements, um, and this, and this type of immunotherapy. Yeah. Precision therapy stacking. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and, but so when we're talking about nutrition, people go, there's, there's science to support that. Uh-huh. It's like, yeah. And not only the science to support it, but the connection between the food we put on our mouth, the impact on the gut bacteria, yeah. the metabolites, and then the systemic effect that eventually aids or is a detriment to the immune system. Sure. So you think that the gut is critical to immunotherapy that you do. Yeah. Um, and I do too. That's, I say it's the base foundation. Okay. I mean, it's kind of like if you don't have that, you don't, you, you can't build on top of it. Yeah. And I was actually okay. reading a, another study highlighting different dietary, looking at high animal protein, yeah. versus you know vegan versus ketogenic etc and how these different bacterial populations were having different effects on the immune system yeah, yeah. so where, where do you think we're going with the gut immune system immunotherapy cancer where, where do you think the future's well holding it, out there for us yeah i mean so so probably you know you're going to see a lot more of this fecal transplant stuff now particularly that there's an fda of course the fda approvals for for c diff infection right right we could use it off-label, but I think you're going to find these uh, sort of off-the-shelf versions where you say, okay, if the person takes that, that's going to really repopulate their microbiome and be helpful. And, and, uh, and I think you're going to see, start seeing people all around doing that because a lot of people, I'm sure, have you know poor microbiomes. But uh, I'd say that's most Western yes. uh, countries yeah. do. <laughs> that's that's where see of course yeah right now with supplementation you can you can boost it some but uh, but yeah I think that's going to end up being the the easier answer I mean for for us what we do we say you know let's let's check your microbiome yeah we look for the th- few things that we know there's a, obviously a ton of stuff we just have no idea but look and say okay do you have these key bacteria or you don't if right. not can we introduce them right um, do you do you have something that's really bad where we we can't fix this with supplementation you're going to need a fecal transplant. And the others, there's you know, there's interesting ones like like pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, pancreatic cancer was seen to be associated with certain presence of bacteria. Yeah. And so the question was, in a pancreatic cancer patient, are you better to wipe out their microbiome, you know, give them oral vanc, oral neomycin, you know, oral antibiotic to just eliminate their microbiome and start fresh, and give them a new one. And that's kind Almost, of where things. It's following the the path of. That 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 thinking that logic is kind of a bone marrow, right? 
exactly it. exactly same yeah. type of thing yeah wipe up say this is this microbiome is bad and and that's where you know i think the the newer studies were so you know as uh, you know we're talking about this as alluding to there was this previous study where they did immunotherapy and the patients who failed if they did a fecal transplant from patients who were good responders that those patients would respond and so everybody's okay that that's a good answer. You just you get your responders and you donate. And obviously, it's a little more complicated, right. and the FDA makes it even more complicated sure. because they don't quite allow those type of things to take Bureaucracy place. Bureaucracy always complicates. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's the, so so. But then now with the you know rebiota, re um, this is from you know supposedly healthy donors. I don't know how they select their people. I don't know what their consistency is. You know, the, F right. the FDA, that's one thing with fecal transplants is, is that they're going to want to see consistency from, you know, if you have this rebiota today or in a year or in two years, they want to see it all the same. So I, I, I guess they found a way to, to do that. But uh, So we really need to know our crap, right? We do. <laughs> you do, exactly. <laughs> you do on this. So it's, it's interesting, but the, the, now it looks like that they're showing that that type of fecal transplant from healthy donors, healthy pooled donors, may be better than even the ones that are super responders. Wow. And so, so yeah, it's saying that this person, look, they have cancer, and that's what they were saying. The super donors had cancer. Right. So their, their microbiome was certainly better than the non-responders, but they still had cancer. Wow. Whereas these people don't have cancer, at least supposedly. And so that, it does kind of make a lot of sense where if you give the person a healthy microbiome, maybe that would affect a lot. Will we ever get to the point you think of uh, designer fecal transplants? Oh, definitely. I'm sure yeah. that that will be the case. I'm sure that, and again, it's going to probably come down to the AI yeah, and looking, right. say this, you've got all this stuff. So you, you need these bacteria, you need this type of thing. And then, and then there will be different ways they can, I'm sure, manipulate those concentrations of or different bacteria. It's, it's clearly going to be that way. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how long it'll take, but yeah, it will be there. So really, your, your, your targeting of the tumor is really transitioning to a continued targeting of the tumor that moves systemically. But now you're targeting the gut and targeting everything else that you can to, to stack those therapies together. Yeah, just like trying to create the, you know, world-class athlete, you know, giving them every advantage, you know, it's not just the, the you know, going to practice. It's doing all the other extra things that you need to do. You know, I, you played football, I, I played yeah, football. Um, for me, when I was kicking, uh, football season was 365 days a year. Oh, yeah. I didn't take off. I kicked almost every day, you know, had to go to the gym had to, you know, do stuff. I, I realized looking back, I didn't do enough. My father at the time told me, he said, you think you're doing a lot, but you're not doing enough. You could do more. Oh. And, uh, and he was right. Mm -hmm. But he, and he told me, he said, when he said, when you're, you know, when you get like 40, uh, which I passed already, unfortunately, but he said, you're going to look back and you're going to say, you know what, I could have done better. And, uh, and, and that was true. Um, thankfully though, I didn't become a professional football player, but, uh, so it's probably a good thing, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, you know, you, you, with, with this, with cancer treatment, you know, you have to do all those things to take every advantage from the supplements, uh, diet, exercise, yeah. uh, you, know, you got to try to get the microbiome. Yeah. Uh, it's not just the immunotherapy drugs. If you're only right. doing the immunotherapy drugs, it's like, you're just going to practice. Don't ever expect to be in the Olympics or a professional athlete. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't 
wrap that up better than what you said there um, because you you just created the perfect bow yeah. to wrap this up um, but let me tell you this you know neither one of us played professional football no <laughs> um, you are in your calling yeah you're in your element yeah. and that's why you know there and back again thank you for uh, patient SR for mm -hmm. reconnecting us mm -hmm. took a little bit of time for me to come down here but um, this is why I wanted to come and see you south of the border, first of all, because we're classmates. Yeah. We're going to reconnect as friends. Yeah. We're colleagues. Sure. And you're just doing some amazing, innovative work. And so what I wanted to do is come down, and obviously we have patients that come to see you, and we will you know, definitely send more that can take advantage that. of that. But I think the world needs to know about the innovation that you are doing, as, yeah. as are others. And so, man, I'm super excited to reconnect with I you. I too, yeah. Enjoyed uh, meeting your wife and uh, having dinner you. last night. My wife and I did. So I look forward to, you know, maybe uh, let's have some geek conversations, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Because, you know, I approach things from a, a more natural, holistic, and integrative side. And, and you definitely are uh, an integrative, innovative side. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of... Um, you know, we were talking about artesanate last right, night, yeah. uh, vitamin Fair. C. There's lots of ways that these 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 things can work together in concert. Sure. Sure. You know, really interested in in you know cryo hyperthermia. Is there any benefit to this kind of you know push pull? You know, right, Sifri, yeah. Dr. Sif, Thomas Sifri talked about in a more metabolic perspective. Is there any benefit that? But you know, just trying to expand the scope and the vision of what can be done mm -hmm. out there, and just constantly innovated just like you are yeah so thank you for taking time out of your schedule Jason. I appreciate it, Nathan. uh yeah. you are a friend yes. you are a colleague yeah and i can't wait to do more work with you man yeah I, okay i appreciate it so you great bet. so great seeing you so this is dr goodyear we're going to be signing off for the practicing with dr nathan goodyear podcast we are down here by the way i didn't say this we are in cabo san lucas mexico <laughs> did i get that right andres did I pronounce it right? Okay, he's not going to say it because he's, he's in the background. He's a little yeah. shy. But uh, I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. Share it with everybody that you think would benefit from the innovative work that, that Dr. Jason Williams and, and we are at Brio doing. And, and the name of your clinic is Williams so Cancer Institute. So Williams Cancer Institute, yes. Yep, yep. Yeah. And two, okay, check out this book. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you can find it online wherever you buy your yeah. books. I'm sure Amazon, etc. Um, I, again, I'm not going to lie, I have not read it, but I am going to. It uh, looks like an easy read here. Uh, yes, without yeah. my glasses, but <laughs> it looks like an easy read. Subscribe, share this with family members, everyone you think can benefit from this uh, amazing, innovative knowledge that Dr. Jason Williams was talking about and we discussed. So look forward to bringing more podcasts to you uh, in the future. This is Dr. Goodyear signing off for J with Thanks. Jason Williams in Cabo San Lucas. For more information just like what we discussed today, I encourage you to follow us on YouTube as well as all of your favorite audio streaming platforms. And in there, we'll talk about all things related to healing, wellness, cancer, and much, much beyond because it doesn't just apply to cancer. Our goal here is to turn to healing, restore health, and promote your wellness. Whether that greatest obstacle to wellness being cancer or any other named disease, our goal is your wellness. I'm Dr. Nathan Goodyear, and enjoy our future podcast at Practicing with Dr. Goodyear.